Good morning. Can we please turn our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 2? Second Samuel chapter 2, and we'll just read verse 1 to start with before we open in prayer. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. And David said, Whither shall I go up? And he said, Unto Hebron. And let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, once again for today. We thank you, Lord, for this um, wonderful local church we've got. We thank you for the chance we've got to study out your word. I pray, Lord, that you would give me wisdom as I preach this morning. I pray, Lord, that you give me understanding and um, help me to just um, deliver your word simply, Lord, so that we may understand it. Help us to learn from it, Lord, to apply it to our lives and um, that we would get both a challenge and a blessing from it today. We ask these things in your name. Amen. We live today in a very fast-paced world, don't we? A world where we don't want to wait for anything. I'm sure Amy's about sick of waiting. Um, we don't like waiting for things. We want things quickly. We want them now. You know, we've got faster roads, faster highways. We've got fast food. Not that some of it's very fast, but fast food. We've got quicker planes and trains. We've got instant messaging services, emails, convenience microwave meals for when you're in a hurry. Um, the list goes on. Fast computers, faster internet. You know, we don't like to wait for things. In this day and age, patience can be quite a hard thing to have. You know, how frustrated do you get when your computer takes a whole minute to turn on? That's pretty annoying. What about if your internet's running slow? It can be very frustrating. Or someone's doing a couple of kilometres less than the speed limit in front of you. It gets quite frustrating. You know, I'm sure there's many more examples that we can think of, but that's the world we live in, isn't it? It's a very fast-paced world. Everything is getting quicker. No one has patience to wait for anything. We want everything as quick as we can. We want it now. You know, the bad thing about this is we can get into a bit of a habit of this. If we get used to this lifestyle of wanting things now and wanting them as quickly as possible, and it is hard to show patience sometimes. You know, but unfortunately, that's not how God always operates, is it? God doesn't always operate right now when we want him to. Often God wants us to slow down and to wait. And that can be a challenge for us. Having patience can be very hard. You know, sometimes God ways, God's ways seem slow, complicated, long and challenging. When we can see a nice little shortcut that we'd prefer to take instead. But, you know, we're told in Isaiah 55, 8, I'm sure you know the verse, For my thoughts are your, not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. We're reminded there that we don't operate like God. God thinks differently to us because he knows the beginning from the end. God doesn't work the same way as us because he knows what the best way is. You know, God often has plans for our lives that don't make any sense to us. Things don't always happen as quickly as we'd like or the way we'd like. You know, despite this, though, we need to learn to wait on the Lord, to wait for his timing and his working. Don't rush ahead of God. You know, this was a lesson that David was taught over many, many years. And David learnt this lesson. He had to wait on the Lord, as we'll see in this chapter. 
We're going to have a look at the entire chapter. We'll look at bits in detail and then skim over the rest of it. We've only got one point this morning. David waited on the Lord. Now, first of all, we'll just recap where we're up to in this story because it is a long time since I preached last. But basically, the context of this chapter is that some 15 to 20 years ago, most commentators think it's probably a little bit over 15 years ago, was when David was anointed as the future king of Israel. I'm sure we know that story. Samuel came to the house of Jesse, anointed David the shepherd boy as future king. That was over 15 years ago now. And as yet, David's still not king. Over those 15 odd years, King Saul became jealous of David and sought for many, many of those years to kill David. He kept on pursuing him and he was never successful in ending David's life. David wrongly fled to the land of the Philistines. He had a bit of a downfall there where he was living in a city called Ziklag. And then through a series of hard trials in David's life, he was drawn back to God and began seeking God's will again. This is basically nearly where we're up to in our story. At the end of 1 Samuel, we see that Saul and his three sons died in battle just like God predicted. And then when Samuel, sorry, when David gets word of this in chapter 1 in 2 Samuel, which we looked at last time, um, David laments Saul's death. He writes a bit of a song about it and he's, he laments Saul's death despite Saul being his number one enemy. And now in chapter 2 of 2 Samuel, in verse 1, we see that David is continuing to seek the Lord. He inquires of the Lord if he should return to the land of Israel now that Saul was dead and to what city. You know, and they, this is the most important part of this entire chapter. The most important part of what we're going to look at today is right here in verse 1. Read verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after this, so after Saul and his sons are dead, and David's living in the land of the Philistines, that David inquired of the Lord. That is the most important part of the message this morning. Saying, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Where do you want me to go, Lord? Should I go up to Judah at the moment? And if so, where? And the Lord said unto him, Go up. David said, Whither shall I go? And he said, Unto Hebron. You know, it would have been very, very easy for David right now to assume God's will, wouldn't it? Very easy for David to think, Yep, there's the path. That's where God wants me. I'm going to go there. But he didn't do that. He's assumed God's will in the past. That's when he ended up in the land of the Philistines and things went south very quickly. David has learnt not to assume God's will. You know, he would have been, although he lamented Saul's death, he would have been excited at this time. For over 15 years, he's been waiting to become king of Israel. One man stood in his way, Saul. David had a couple of chances to kill him. He refused. He said, no, I'm going to wait on God's timing. Let God deal with it. And now Saul has finally been defeated. Saul and his three sons are gone. So his sons aren't even there to take the throne. This seems like the perfect opportunity for David to march back home, declare himself as king, set himself up on the throne. Happy days, the Lord's will is fulfilled. But David doesn't do that. David doesn't just assume that this is God's will. Now he inquires of the Lord. You know, that is a very important lesson for us. David didn't just assume that this was God's will because it looked like it might be right. David took the time to pray and ask God if it was right. You know, how often have we been caught out with that? How often have we been caught out with assuming God's will in our life? Just thinking, yeah, this, I'm pretty sure this is where God's leading me. I'm going to go this way. 
You know, if that's the case and it's not God's will, then things don't turn out so good for us. David had learned this lesson the hard way, and so now, importantly, he inquires of the Lord instead of trusting in his own wisdom. He's learned this the hard way. So God, he tells him to go to Hebron. He says, yep, go to Judah. I want you to go to the city of Hebron. So then in verses 2 to 3 we read, So David went up thither, and his two wives also, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, Nabal's wife, the Carmelite. And his men that were with him did David bring up, every man with his household, and they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. So David takes his family to the land of um, Judah, to Hebron. And there we find out in verse 4, as we'll read in a second, he is set up as king over Judah. He takes all of his men with him, all of their families, would have been quite a number of people, and he is set up as king of Judah, which is one of the tribes of Israel. But in verse 4, notice it says, And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. David didn't go in and declare himself as king. Even though God had told him, I want you to go to Judah, I want you to go to the city of Hebron, David didn't even once he get there still assume God's will and say, hey, I'm here, I'm king. God told me that 15 years ago. You need to make me king. Now let's make it happen. He didn't do that. He waited still and the elders of Judah are the ones that anointed him king. So he didn't force this on anybody. He was letting God do this. So he didn't set himself up as king. And then just to give us a bit of a glimpse again of how good David's character is, he shows respect to Saul even after his death. Have a look at the end of verse 4 there. It says, And they told David, saying, that the men of Jabesh-Gilead were they that buried Saul. Read down to verse 7 as well. And David sent messengers unto them of Jabesh-Gilead, and said unto them, Blessed be ye of the Lord, that ye have showed this kindness unto the Lord, even unto Saul, and have buried him. And now the Lord show kindness and truth unto you. And I also will requite or repay you this kindness because you have done this thing. Therefore now let your hands be strengthened and be ye um, valiant. For your master Saul is dead and also the house of Judah have anointed me king over them. Just pop back to chapter 31 in 1 Samuel and we'll see what this is talking about. Basically those verses that we read, David's gotten word that the people of Jabesh-Gilead have buried Saul. David's very grateful for this in showing respect to um, God's anointed king, despite Saul and David's differences. Shows um, the character they had. And he says that God will repay you and also I will repay you for your kindness. Have a look at exactly what they did. In chapter 31, we'll read verses 8 through the end of the chapter. This is, so Saul and his three sons have died in this battle. And then we pick it up at verse 8. And it came to pass on the morrow when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen in Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armour and sent it into the land of the Philistines round about to publish it in the houses, house of their idols and among the people. And they put his armour in the house of Ashtaroth and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead, here's the people that David's talking about, heard of which the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan and came to Jabesh and burnt them there. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So David is praising these men for their heroics here. 
Basically, the Philistines have come and they've done awful stuff to Saul and his son's bodies, cut their head, cut his head off and paraded them around like a trophy. And in the end, fastened them to the wall of one of their cities at Beth Shean. So these men of Jabesh Gilead, when they heard how disrespectful the Philistines were to their previous king, they marched all night long and then went to Beth Shean on quite a dangerous mission, it would have been, to recover the body of Saul and his sons and give them a proper burial back at home. So David, he, he is grateful for this. He goes and he praises the men of Jabesh Gilead for this, and he says, God will repay you, and I will repay you for your kindness. Now, it's just a bit, of a, a bit of a sidetrack verse there, but it just gives us a glimpse still of David's character, exactly why God chose this man David to be king. His enemy for over 15 years who's been trying to kill him, or for just under 15 years trying to kill him, even though he's dead now, David still shows respect to him and kindness. Now have a look at now at verses 8 to 10. We'll read what happens here. It says, But Abner, the son of Ner, captain of Saul's host, took Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahinim, and made him king over Gilead, and over the Asherites, and over Jezreel, and over Ephraim, and over Benjamin, and over all Israel. Ishbosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel and reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. So we're told here that this man Abner sets up a new king. And Abner, he was the captain of Saul's army. So he was the captain of all of Israel's army when Saul was alive. And he decided to set up this man called Ishbosheth as king over the rest of Israel, apart from Judah, because they'd made David king. Now, Ishbosheth, we're told here, was a son of Saul. There's a bit of discrepancy here about what this actually means, but from researching the commentators and what I believe, feel free to disagree with me, is that there's no previous mention of Ishbosheth as being one of Saul's sons. God predicted back in 1 Samuel that Saul and his three sons would die in battle, and they did. Because there's no previous um, mention of him and and the way things go with God's uh, prophecy in that, it's commonly believed that he's some sort of illegitimate son of Saul, possibly the son of a concubine. Um, so he's somehow a son of Saul, but an illegitimate son, okay? Probably a son of a concubine. You know, there's a couple of reasons why Abner, though, would set up Ishbosheth as king over the rest of Israel. Now, firstly, it would have been for selfish reasons. You know, he was the captain of the entire army of Israel. You know, that's a position that he would have wanted to keep. He wouldn't have wanted to give that position up to anybody. And, you know, having that much power and that much experience under Saul, he probably thought, if I set up this man, Ishbosheth, I can probably manipulate him and effectively run the kingdom myself. So, probably selfish reasons. He didn't want to give up his power. You know, whereas if David had become king over Israel of all this time, Abner wouldn't have been the captain of the army. One of David's men, loyal men that had been with him the whole time, they would have been made captain of the army. So Ishbosheth, probably, oh sorry, Abner, probably for selfish reasons, wanting to remain captain, sets up Ishbosheth as king. Now, another reason could have been that, remember, Abner was Saul's right hand man for the whole time he was pursuing David. That means that all of Saul's hatred and bitterness and jealousy and envy towards David would have rubbed off on Abner. 
He would have heard all the horrible comments that Saul made about David. He was there every time Saul tried to kill David. That would have made a, given him a mindset that he also didn't like David. Would have given um, Abner a hatred and a jealousy towards David as well. So David would have been the last person that he wanted to be king. You know, not to mention that he wouldn't have liked very David very much just for making a mockery of him. This is just going back a little bit. Have a look back in chapter 26. It's quite a funny story now that when you read it. At the time, you sort of glance over it, but now that you see Abner setting up a new king, it kind of makes sense. Chapter 26, and we'll read verses 14 to 16. Now, this is when uh, one of the chances where David had to kill Saul, and he's gone down into Saul's camp and taken his spear and his water pitcher from next to him and we get a picture that Abner is quite a proud man like look at me I'm the best I'm the best warrior around it says here in verse 14 and and David cried to the people and to Abner the son of Ner saying answerest thou not Abner then Abner answered and said who art thou that cries to the king and David said to Abner art thou not a valiant man and who is like thee in all Israel wherefore then hast thou not kept the Lord thy king for there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. And this is not good, sorry, this thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because ye have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is, and the curse of water that was at his bolster. And Saul knew David's voice and said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. Quite a shameful moment there for Abner he's meant to be captain of the army the best warrior in probably all of the Israel's army meant to take care of his king and this night while he slept David had a chance to come in and kill the king took his spear took his water jug basically retreats to a hill and then calls out Abner Abner aren't you meant to be a valiant man aren't you meant to be one that there's no one as good as you in all of Israel how come you couldn't even protect your king tonight then he says, you're not even worthy to live after that. So it would have been a bit of a shameful moment there. And I'd say that Abner probably would have held a bit of a grudge for David humiliating him like that. You know, for all of these reasons, Abner did not want David to be king. David would have been the last person that he wanted king. So he sets up Ishbosheth as king of the rest of Israel. You know, why though did Israel accept this? Makes you wonder though, why did Israel accept Ishbosheth as their king instead of David? And it was only Judah, only one tribe that accepted David. You know, word would have gotten around all of Israel that David had been anointed king because Saul knew it. Back in 1 Samuel, there's a couple of times where Saul declares in front of his army, David, I know that God has chosen you as king. That means that word gets around all of Israel's army that David is king. When those people go back home, they tell their families. Word would have spread very quickly that David was the anointed king of Israel next. Everyone would have known it. So why then does the rest of Israel, except for Judah, allow Ishbosheth to be their king? You know, the commentators have a few ideas, and oh, I don't know, there's probably several ideas for it, but possibly they saw David as a traitor. You've got to remember, David was living in the land of the Philistines right up until this moment. At one point, David was even marching with the Philistines into battle against the Israelites. They could have seen him as a bit of a traitor and not known whether they can trust him yet. 
he's been run on the run from King Saul for over for, for however many years it was, nearly 15 years on the run from King Saul, Saul's number one enemy. There would have been some trust issues there with David. You know, perhaps though they thought as well, if they set David up as their king, it would anger the Philistines further. The Philistines already didn't like Israel, but they definitely didn't like David. If they set David up as their king, perhaps it would have angered the Philistines, something that they didn't really want to do. You know, or perhaps um, it could have been that because Ishbosheth was some sort of descendant of Saul, that they thought it made sense to make him king as opposed to David. You know, whatever the reason it is, the rest of Israel, except for Judah, is happy to have Ishbosheth as their king. And this is going to cause all sorts of trouble. In verse 11 it says, And the time that David was king in Hebron over the house of Judah was seven years and six months. David was king over Judah for seven years and six months. You know, this is where David's patience really stands out. This is where we really see David waiting on the Lord. He had already been waiting for over 15 years for God to fulfill his promise and to make him king of Israel. And now just as it looks like it's about to happen, Saul's out of the way, it looks like it's going to happen, God's promise is going to be fulfilled. Nope, he's king only one tribe, Judah. And now he's still going to wait another seven and a half years. Talk about patience. You know, in that time, he could have fought against Ishbosheth. He could have risen up as the rightful king over Israel, gone to destroy Ishbosheth and conquer the throne. But no, he waited on God. Waited on God for over 22 years. He doesn't become king over Israel till chapter 5. You know, that is patience. How is our patience? Are we happy to wait that long for God to fulfill a promise, for God to take us through a trial? You know, David's path to become king seems like just one trial after another. You know, and the nation is now divided. This was the start of a long and brutal civil war. You know, but we get a bit of a, we get a, bit of a glimpse of just how bad things get here, but it shows us how much David had patience, doesn't it? How much he waited on the Lord. He could have gone in and tried to conquer Ishbosheth, saying, this is my rightful throne, God's promised it. But no, 22 and a half years, he waited and endured trial after trial after trial, waiting for God to work. And we get a bit of a glimpse of how bad things get in the rest of the chapter. We're not going to study the rest of the chapter. We will quickly, very quickly look at it. I want to read verses 12 to 16 just to get a bit of an overview of how bad things get what this trial for David's like. And Abner, the son of Ner, the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahinam to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and the servants of David went out and met together by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down, the one on one side and the one on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, Let the young men now arise and play before us. That means fight before us. And Joab said, Let them arise. Then there arose and went over by number twelve of Benjamin, which pertained to Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. And they caught every one his fellow by the head and thrust his sword in his fellow's side. So they fell down dead together. Wherefore that place was called Helkathaz Zaram, which is in Gibeon. Now that fancy name there, Helkathaz Zaram, basically means the field of sharp swords. Now, we're not told how long this happens after David and Ishbosheth become king, 
But at some stage, Abner decides that it's time to conquer David. Abner decides, we've given Judah a little reign under David long enough. It's time to go in and conquer David, have Judah under Ishbosheth's rule. We get all of Israel. So he decides to have a battle. And he gathers at the pool of Gibeon, and he's got a little army there, and Joab has got an army there. Now, Joab is one of David's nephews. It's his sister's son, one of her sons, his nephew, and he's also David's chief military assistant. And Abner there, he proposes a bit of an interesting battle. He says, let's have, some, let's have the young men fight, for, fight before us, play before us, he says, in a gladiator-style battle. And they choose 12 from each side to compete to the, de- to the death, as opposed of all of them fighting against each other. Which at the time, although it's not what God wants, and God doesn't a- accept um, gladiator-style battles to the death and things as a um, sport, um, it, for Abner it kind of made sense, and for Joab it kind of made sense too. They've got a greater enemy, the Philistines. If they have an all-out war between each other, they're going to decimate their armies. It's going to be a lot harder to defend against the Philistines. So 24 people fighting against each other. The loser surrenders to the winner. Seems like a pretty good idea to them. However, that's not how things go because that's not what God wanted. So Abner agrees, but things don't go as you expect. All 24 contestants, we're told, are killed in the same manner. It says there in verse 16, and they caught everyone his fellow by the head, and thrust his sword in his fellow's side, so they fell down together. Wherefore that place was called Helkath Hazarim, which is in Gibeon. Now, so it says there that the battle soon became a bloodbath, and all the 24 people basically killed each other, maybe at the same time, maybe a little bit after each other, but every single one of them died. There was no winner, there was no victory, no survivors in this bloodbath. So then we'll see what happens. Let's read verses 17 to 23. It says, And there was a very sore battle that day, and Abner was beaten, and the men of Israel before the servants of David. And there were three sons of Zariah there. Now that's um, David's sister. So these are David's nephews. Joab and Abishai and Asael. And Asael was as light of foot as a wild roe, or in other words, a gazelle, a deer. And Asael pursued after Abner, and in going, he turned not to the right hand nor to the left from following Abner. Then Abner looked behind him and said, Art thou Asael? And he said, and he answered, I am. And Abner said to him, Turn thee aside to the right hand or to the left, and lay thee hold on one that is of the young men, and take thee his armour. But Asael would not turn from following him. And Abner said to Asael, Turn aside from following me, wherefore should I smite thee to the ground? How then should I hold up my face to Joab thy brother? Howbeit he refused to turn aside, wherefore Abner with the hinder end of his spear smote him under the fifth rib that the spear came out behind him. And he fell down there and died at the same place. And it came to pass that as many as came down to the, came to the place where Asael fell down and died stood still. You know, so we're told here that three, there were three nephews of David here, Joab, Abishai and Asael. And that after the bloodbath of the 24 warriors and there was no winner, an all-out war started between Judah and Israel. All-out war started and as um, Abner started to lose, as Abner was losing this battle, so he started to retreat. And as he was retreating, one of David's nephews, Asael, he decides to chase after Abner. 
We're told he's as, he was as light-footed as a gazelle, so he obviously could run pretty quick and jump and who knows what else he could do. He was obviously very quick. So he pursued after Abner and he started catching up to Abner. And Abner turns around and says, Who are you? He says, Are you Asael? He says, Yes, I am. And he says, Turn away, go back home. I don't want to fight you. And then he still won't. He says, Grab someone's armour from next to you, trying to make it a fair fight. But he won't. And he has no... Um, seems like Asael doesn't really think he. He's overcome with an obsession to kill Abner and that's all he's thinking about. Now Abner says to him, I don't want to fight you because of who your brother is. He's the brother of Job who's the leader of um, the army of Judah. He says, I don't want that on my hands. I don't want to face your brother. Please do not fight me. I don't want to have to kill you. Seems like he was pretty confident here and rightly so. Asael does catch up to him, doesn't give him a choice, and probably in self-defense, Abner kills him with the handle of his spear so it comes out his back. You know, and as he predicted, Asael's brothers, Joab and Abishai, then pursue Abner out of anger, out of jealousy. They want revenge for their brother. And it says there in verse 24, Joab also and Abishai pursued after Abner, and the sun went down when they were come to the hill of Ammah, that lieth before Gibeah by the way of the wilderness of Gibeon. And the children of Benjamin gathered themselves together after Abner and became one troop and stood on, the, on top of the hill. Then Abner called to Job and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Knowest thou not that it will be bitterness in the, la in the latter end? How long shall it be then, ere thou bid the people return from following their brethren? And Job said, As God liveth, unless thou hast spoken, surely then in the morning the people had gone up every one from following his brother. So Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and pursued after Israel no more, neither they, neither fought they any more. And Abner and his men walked all night through the plain and passed over Jordan and went through all Bithron and they came to Mahanaim. And Joab returned from following Abner and when he had gathered all the people together, there lacked of David's servants 19 men and Asael. So David lost 20 men. But the servants of David had smitten of Benjamin and of Abner's men, so that three score, sorry, three hundred and three score men died. That's three hundred and sixty men died. And they took up Asael and buried him in the sepulchre of his father, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at break of day. Read chapter one, chapter three, verse one to it says, "Now there was long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David." Um, waxed stronger and stronger and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker so I told here that basically Asael's brothers David's other nephews they pursue after Abner trying to get revenge and then Abner does some sweet talking he realizes that he's losing this battle he's lost 360 men David's soldiers have lost 20 men he knows he's losing he does some sweet talking which I'm sure wouldn't have been the case if it was the other way around he basically says to Job, he says, Job, stop, what are you doing? How long is this fight going to go on for? How many people have to die? We're brothers. We've got a greater enemy, the Philistines. And on and on he goes. He sweet talks his way into a truce between um, the two armies. And Joab agrees to it. Job says, you're right, you know, we need to stop. He blows a trumpet and that battle is over. Mind you, it's Abner who was the one that wanted the fight. 
It was Abner who called the armies together at the pool to have a fight. It was Abner who said, let's have these 24 people kill each other in gladiator style. It was probably Abner who started fighting against Jibe's army. But now that Abner's losing, suddenly it's not convenient to fight against each other. Funny that. So he does some sweet talk and gets his way out of this. You know, we're told that David lost 20 people, but Abner lost 360. And this wasn't the end of the war, though. We're told in verse um, 1 of chapter 3, now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Things look pretty bad. You know, we read the rest of that chapter just to get a bit of a glimpse of the trial that David is going through. David doesn't want to see this for his nation. Doesn't want to, David doesn't want to see the nation of Israel in this much turmoil that they're fighting against each other and killing each other. You know, David's life before coming, becoming king was very complicated and challenging, wasn't it? You know, we may think, why does it have to be so complicated? Why does it have to be so messy? Why does there have to be more delays before David becomes king? You know, we may think with Saul out of the way, just put David on the throne neatly, God, like you've promised and be done with it. You know, I'm sure that's something that crosses our mind. Maybe if we were David, that's what we'd be thinking. Why do we have to wait any longer? You know, if it were up to us, this is not how the story would go, is it? If this was a book that we were writing or a movie that we were filming, you know, David's already waited over 15 years to become king. The villain Saul has been defeated. The hero David is on his way home to his home um, nation to become king. If it was our story or our film, we'd have David set up on the throne when he comes home, big, um, big parade for him, hip hip hooray. Everyone lives happily ever after David's their king. That's how we would do it. But that's not how God does it. Like we said at the start, God's ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. You know, we don't understand God's ways. We don't always understand why he acts the way he does or when. And I'm sure David didn't understand this. I'm sure David didn't understand why he had to wait another seven and a half years before he became king. But it's not our place to understand. It's not our place to question why God does things. It's not our place. Our place is to simply trust God and have patience. You know, and as hard as they are, the trials and the long journeys we go through are for our good, aren't they? I'm sure we all know James 1.3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's why we go through them. That's why we go through these hard times, to build our patience. You know, God was more interested in preparing David for the throne than just putting him on the throne. God was interested in preparing David for the throne. David was the king that he was, the best king Israel had had because of his trials, because of his waiting, because of his downfalls, because of everything that David went through. It made him the man he was. You know, it's the same with us. God is concerned with preparing us for his will, moulding us to the image of his son so he can use us the way he wants. You know, I wonder how is our patience? Would we be able to wait on God for over 22 years to fulfil a promise? Are we able to wait on God for a couple of years for it to go through a trial? Are we able to wait for a month, for a week, for a couple of days? How is our patience? You know, David did not rush in here when the path seemed clear. He inquired of the Lord and he waited for the Lord to direct. 
Now we need to inquire of the Lord and act on His will, not our will. We need to have the patience to wait on the Lord, even when we think we know which way to go, especially when we think we know which way to go. That's when we need to inquire of the Lord. Just to finish up, here's some advice from a 19th century preacher named A.B. Simpson. He said, Beloved, have you ever thought that someday you will not have anything to try you or anyone to vex you again? There will be no opportunity in heaven to learn or to show the spirit of patience, forbearance and long-suffering. If you are to practice these things, it must be now. Interesting thought, isn't it? Each day affords countless opportunities to learn patience. Let's not waste them. Now, how about it? Will we wait on the Lord in our lives as David did? Let God lead us through our trials? You know, if we rush ahead, we may leave God behind. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this message. We thank you for um, your servant, David. Thank you, Lord, that even though he had to wait over 22 and a half years to fulfill your promise, he, uh, he did wait, Lord. He learned that the hard way so that we can learn it the easy way. Lord, I do pray that we would um, learn from this. Help us to um, remember that we need to wait on you, that you are in control. Even when things are hard, when things are long, and sometimes, Lord, we think we know a better path, pray that you'd help us just to have the patience to wait on your direction in our lives like David did, Lord. I do pray that you would bless the rest of this day and the morning too we're going to have as well. In Jesus' name, amen.